Our second reading this morning comes uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to pick up basically where we left off. I'm going to read verse 20 through 33 and then jump down to 39. Again, this is from the uh, ESV translation. It's going to be helpful for you to have that Bible open because uh, uh, as we're preaching through it, I'm going to take you back to the text. So hear the word of God. Brothers and sisters, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters... He is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and in turn, and let someone interpret. And if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So my brothers and sisters earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we ask that you be present with us here by the power of your spirit and the preaching of your word. Uh, We thank you for the words of the prophets and the apostles who have gone before us. And we thank you for causing them to be written down for us and preserved in scripture. We ask this morning that um, you wake up our minds. Uh, even as you warm up our spirit so that we might worship you in spirit and in truth, so that we might worship you both with our hearts and with our minds. This we pray in the name of Jesus, who is the redeemer of both our spirits and our minds. Amen. So this week we continue in our series of sermons through... uh Well, no, a series of sermons about the gifts of the Spirit. This is the third week, uh, in, in our series on the gifts of the Spirit. Um, we're taking a little break from our, uh, sermon series through the Acts of, Acts of the Apostles. 
Last week we took a look at First uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 12, which has a lot of information about uh, the different gifts of the Spirit uh, and and what they do and how they're deployed. Uh, and this week we we get into um, a, into how do I say this? Uh, some of the more problematic gifts of the Spirit. Prophecy and speaking in tongues. Maybe the gifts of the Spirit that we're uh, a little more uncomfortable with. You know, the gift of hospitality, we like that. The gift of, the gift of, uh, uh, of administration, we're fine with that. But the gift of tongues and the gift of, of prophecy seem a little strange and a little weird to us. And so I want us to pay particular attention to what's going on here today because actually the message, uh, is a message that has consequences for everything that we do in the life of the church, not just for speaking in tongues, uh, and for prophecy. To remind you of the context, of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, or 1 Corinthians, uh, in chapter 11 we had the instructions regarding uh, the Lord's Supper. That's where the words of institution uh, are, uh, are that we read every time we do the Lord's Supper. This whole book to the Corinthians has been written because the church is out of order. There's There are different kinds of disorder in the church, and Paul is teaching uh, about how they're supposed to be doing things in worship properly. In some sense, this was a letter to the worship committee, maybe. You know, maybe the worship committee needs to study this letter because there's instructions about how different things are supposed to be done in the worship service. Uh, With regard to uh, the Lord's Supper, um, we can read between the lines... uh, from what Paul says there, and get the idea that the Lord's Supper at that time was something a little closer uh, to what we would call a potluck dinner. People brought their own food. And the problem that Paul identified was is that, well, the rich people were coming, you know, with big, beautiful baskets of food and fine wine, and the poor people were kind of left over here in the corner and were embarrassed. And he's like, this is no way to do things. Uh, and so he instructs them about how to do the Lord's Supper in a way that's more loving to the whole church. In chapter 12, after, so the, chapter 11 is the Lord's Supper chapter. Chapter 12, we have this list of the, of the gifts of the Spirit. And we learn in that chapter that anybody who's a Christian has the Holy Spirit. And anyone who has the Holy Spirit has a gift of the Spirit. And we learn that anyone who has a gift of the Spirit, that gift isn't for them, but it's in fact for the people who are around them. Okay, So normally when you receive a gift, that gift is for you uh, and you get to enjoy it. But in the case of the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts are to the church, but they're through individuals. All right. So someone who has you know, a, a gift of singing uh, the soprano part, that gift isn't for her, it's for the people who are listening to her. Okay, uh, So that's how the gifts work. That's chapter 12. Chapter 13 is the very familiar love chapter. We haven't read it. Uh, it was probably read at your wedding. It has nothing to do with weddings, and it has everything to do with, with how the church lives amongst itself. You know, love is patient. Love is kind. I mean, that's true in a marriage, but it's really true uh, in a church. And that brings us to chapter 14, uh, which we read today, which is about tongues and about prophecy. If you open uh, your uh, Bible there and look with me at verse 26, you're going to see a little thumbnail description of what would have been 
going on in, in a church service in the first century. Okay? We don't have any bulletins from this first century. I wish we did. Okay? We, no, nobody was video recording them. It would be fascinating to know. But there's a little clue here. Uh, here here's what we read. Verse 26. When you come together, each one has a hymn. Each one has a lesson. Each one has a revelation. Each one has a tongue. Each one has an interpretation. Okay, that little conjunction, or, in there is incorrect. That's a mistranslation. That or is not present in the Greek. Okay, so there's a, there's a list of different things that are going on. And there's an indication that, well, actually multiple people were doing them. So the, the church would gather together. The saints would meet together. They met in homes for the most part. Uh, and different people in the congregation would stand up. And, you know, this one would have a, a song to sing. And this one would have a word of encouragement. And this one would speak in tongues. And this one would offer uh, a, an interpretation. And apparently, a whole bunch of these things uh, happened. Paul gives the indication that, well, you know, maybe maybe three prophets should speak in a meeting. Okay, now he's saying that because he's trying to corral them because maybe it was getting a little crazy, and maybe seventeen were speaking. All right, we're going to have three. We're going to be we're going to do this a little more orderly, and everybody has to do it uh, in turn. Apparently, because people were talking on top of each other. All right. So the the church in the beginning, I think, was a kind of a wild place where um, there wasn't just the professionals up front doing all of the talking, but everybody was involved. In some sense, this is what we have uh, in our small group Bible studies. Okay, all of you should be involved in at least one small group Bible study, and when you go to a small group Bible study, there will be a leader. But the conversation is really shared by all of the people around the table. We're all reading the same scripture passage and, and we're all talking about it and reflecting on it. I think this is much more uh, in line with what the church was doing uh, in, uh, in those early days. Okay, So um, many things are going on and many different people are doing these things. Not just some professional clergy person. But Paul's concern is, is that it be done decently and in order, that things be done in sequence. And then he has a much larger teaching. I mean, this whole chapter in general is about why it is that prophecy is more important than speaking in tongues. All right. Now, there's a little hint there about what was actually going on. Because apparently in the church, speaking in tongues was quite the hot thing to do. And people were doing a lot of it. And people wanted to do it. Okay? Paul says that you are zealous for this. Okay? That they had a zeal for the gifts of the Spirit. And apparently the one that they really liked was this speaking uh, in tongues. And so we're going to, we'll talk a little bit about that here in a minute. But what I want you to notice in all of this instruction is the goal that Paul has in mind. Paul is giving instructions about how the service should be organized and how things should be done. But there's a goal in all of that. And if you look at verse 31, 
you'll hear one version of this goal. For you can all prophesy one by one, and here's the goal, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. Okay, All may learn and all be encouraged. The goal of the worship service is that people would learn more about uh well, I mean, actually about the mind of Christ. I think this second hymn that we sang today is the perfect hymn because what it is that we get in Scripture is the mind of Christ. All right? And so uh, the concern here is, is that we might learn about the mind of Christ and be encouraged. Take a look also at verse 26 because we have here again another statement, uh, a three-part statement of the purpose. Okay? Uh, verse 26, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. L- let all things be done for building up. For building up. Okay? Edify is, is the term that we often use. So there is a goal here that uh, in the worship service... The people who were participating in the worship service would become stronger because they were there. That they would be encouraged in their life because they were there. Um, take a look with me also in, in verse 3. This is going back to the part that um, Jordan read for us. The one who prophesies speaks to people... For their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. Okay, again, three purposes of what's going on in, in the worship, in the worship service. Okay, so Paul is concerned about what's happening there. Apparently there's a lot of confusion going on. There's a lot of speaking in tongues going on. And so then he's going to give this very long discussion. It's, a, it's an extremely long discussion about the difference between speaking in tongues and prophesying. There's actually a relationship between the two, but there's also a difference between the two. So I want to talk about that um, a, a little bit now. So speaking in tongues and prophesying are both elements of worship. Both of them are gifts of the Spirit. Speaking in tongue uh, comes from the Holy Spirit, and prophesying comes from the Holy Spirit. But the difference between these two is that the mind is not engaged when we speak in tongues, but the mind is engaged when we prophesy. Okay? So, I don't know how, raise your hand if you've been in a service where people are speaking in tongues. How many of you? Not so many. You guys need to get out more. Okay. So what happens, uh, when people are speaking in tongues, um, they will begin to make utterances, uh, which maybe sound like language, but which have no meaning. Um, and what they're doing is is a kind of praise or a kind of prayer uh it's a kind of communication with god it's it, it's in a kind of moment of ecstasy they're they're uh very in love with god in this moment when they begin to just in an ecstatic way begin to babble all right their their mind is not engaged what they're saying doesn't really have any meaning they're not 
speaking a secret language. They're just sort of communing with God and worshiping with God. So these two gifts, one of them involves the, uh, involves the uh, the mind, and the other one, the, the mind's going to be not present. With, with the speaking in tongues, the mind is not engaged, okay? The clutch, is, the clutch has not been engaged here. But in the prophesying, the mind is engaged. Let's take a look at a few things uh, in the speaking in tongues. First of all, in verse uh, 2, For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men or to people, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Okay, so they're babbling away, saying stuff. No one around them knows what they're saying. Okay, but they're speaking to God. So it's a kind of a prayer or it's a kind of praise that's being offered to God. Take a look at verse 9. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what's said? Okay, again, speaking in tongues, it's, it's, it, it's sort of like speech, except it doesn't really mean anything. Alright, it's just kind of, it's, a, it's a, 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 a bit of worship, a bit of praise. And then in verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Now I don't know how you divide up your internal faculties, but you notice Paul here has at least divided out the spirit from the mind. Okay, the, the person who's praying in a tongue, his spirit is praying. Somehow he's communing with God, but his, his, his mind, his understanding, his reason is just not there. It's checked out. It's, it's, it's doing something else. All right. So this speaking in tongues is spirit-filled worship but it's spirit-filled worship that isn't mindful worship. Okay, it's, it's actually mindless. We could call it mindless worship. The mind is not present uh, in there. Speaking and praying and praising in tongues is something that's done without reason or without understanding. It's We would call it ecstatic. It's just this kind of burst of thanksgiving and celebration and wonderment. But the, the, the mind is not part of that. It's a private communication between me and, uh, and God. On the other side of the equation, we have prophesying, which is spirit-driven, but also has with it the mind. So in verse 3, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people. Why? For their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And then in verse 19, we read, In church, I would rather speak five words with my mind, those are words of prophecy, in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Okay? Now, Paul is very clear that he speaks in tongues. In fact, he says, oh, I speak in tongues more than all the rest of you. Paul also wants the Corinthians to speak in tongues. That's very clear. 
Okay, there's a, there's a, 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 an instruction here that, yeah, you should be speaking in tongues, but w- in the worship service, the important thing is to be able to speak in a way that's intelligible to the other people. Now, we struggle with this in worship sometimes because, you know, there are times when you come to church and you leave and you really know that you've been in church. And at least two things happen. One is, is that, that that service was intelligent. The preaching made some sense. You understood what was being said. And the Holy Spirit showed up. There's something different between going to church and going to a lecture, for example. You could be in a lecture and have all this information and all of it be true. You know, maybe it's actually an exegesis of a certain passage. But when worship happens, the Spirit is also present. You know what that feels like. You've been there. You've had that happen in your life. You've also been in situations that are supposed to be churches where the Spirit is not present. Okay, where it's dry. Where it's dead. Where it's rote. We're just walking through the motions. We're just pretending to be a church. But the Holy Spirit hasn't shown up. That's possible too. Alright? We want both of those. Alright? When you come to church... Bring your minds with you, all right? We want you to be intelligent Christians, okay? You don't have to park your brain at the door when you come in here, but bring your heart with you too, okay? Be ready to worship God with your spirit. It's this mysterious coming together of the mind and the spirit, which is what distinguishes worship from other kinds of activities. Worship is not unintelligent. It's not chaos, Okay, it's not just gibberish. Okay, the mind is present. But worship is also not just dry academic lecturing as well. Those two things need to be together. The upbuilding, the encouragement, and the consolation of the people is the purpose of prophesying. So let me just clarify what we mean by prophesying because some people have some confusion about this. When we talk about prophesying, we just really mean what we would call today preaching. Okay, Oftentimes we think about prophesying as being like predicting the future. Uh, sometimes the prophets would predict the future, but for the most part, uh, what the prophets did was preach uh, on a scripture text. Okay, they, they would, you know, in the Old Testament, they would preach uh, uh, on a Torah text. In the New Testament, the apostles would preach on an Old Testament text. Okay, so... What we, what we would call preaching today, uh, is what you want to, is what you want to put in, in, in that, in that place, uh, where you see the word, uh, prophecy. Now, here's what I want you to, uh, keep in mind, because this is an instruction to you. This is verse 39. So my brothers and sisters earnestly desire to prophesy. Paul isn't talking to some weird little subset of the church there. He's talking to the whole church. Earnestly desire to prophesy. Well, what is it to prophesy? To prophesy is to speak the word of God out. To speak on behalf of God to the people. Earnestly desire to prophesy. You can do that in two ways. You can speak the word of God to the people of God. Okay, when you're preaching to the saved, you're preaching to the choir, 
Okay, when we do that, that's encouraging. It, 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 it's upbuilding. It's consoling. What happens when we speak the word of God to people who are outside of the church? To the unredeemed? Well, we call that evangelism, don't we? And any church that's not in the business of talking about God to people who are not yet part of the family of God, well, they're not a church. Okay, so part of prophesying is to ourselves, we encourage each other, we build each other up. But part of prophesying is bringing the message outside of us to what lies uh, to the people who are still outside of the church. Take a look with me at verses 24 and 25. Well, actually, I'm going to read... Let's go back, because this is actually an important uh, little passage. Let's go back to 21. In the law, it is written, By people of strange tongues and by lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues... And outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? I guess this was happening in Corinth. I mean, the, you understand the church is, the church is always open. To be a church, your door, your doors can't be barred. Alright? And so there would be people who were not part of the church in Corinth and they'd show up and apparently there would just be a, 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 a lot of tongues talking going on. And the people who would come in from the outside, the people who were not believers yet, they just, they just think that you're crazy. And so this act of worship to God ends up actually being a block against the possibility of this person to becoming a believer. Alright? Hey, if I'm speaking in tongues, I love it. If I'm speaking in tongues, this is a wonderful moment of worship for me. If I'm speaking in tongues, I'm in my spiritual groove. You can think about what your spiritual groove is. But if I'm speaking in tongues or if I'm operating in some kind of uh, clicky spiritual groove, I may also be excluding other people from hearing the gospel that they need to hear. That's Paul's concern. Paul's concern is, is that we're not going to be converting the unconverted if our worship services are not intelligible. If you've ever visited a church, you know that it can be a very intimidating experience. You don't know how things are happening. You're not, you're not sure when to stand up and when to sit down. How does the bulletin work? Okay. It's very frightening for people to step into a church because a church has all of these kinds of rules and arcane culture. Sometimes those rules in arcane culture, which we love and which help us worship, which allow us to feel in the groove, are actually an impediment for people who need to be converted to the gospel. But let me press on to the important verses here. Verse 24. But, if instead of everybody speaking in tongues, if all prophesy... If all speak the word of God, 
and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. And the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Okay, If an unbeliever walks into the church and all of a sudden people are speaking the word of God to one another intelligently, there's intelligent preaching going on, they're going to understand what you're saying, and if the Holy Spirit shows up there, they're going to feel convicted. You remember a couple of weeks ago, we were in that passage where the Apostle Paul is having an interview with Governor Felix. Governor Felix, Roman governor, very rich, very educated, very sophisticated, very powerful. And Paul is talking with Felix about righteousness and about judgment. And what does Felix, what, what happens to Felix? He's terrified. He's shaking in his boots. He's convicted of his sin. He knows that I may be a Roman governor. I may have thousands of soldiers at my command, but one day I'm going to stand before Almighty God. And you know what? I've been living ah, outside of God's will. And I'm going to be damned. That'll wake you up. That's called conviction. Now why is conviction important? Because no one becomes a Christian until they've passed through that stage of conviction. You don't have a Savior until you realize you need a Savior. No one is born again until they realize, oh, you know what, I'm actually got, I have a problem with God and I'm on the highway to hell. To be born again is to go through that awkward, uncomfortable, I mean, I admit it's not a pleasant stage to be under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. No one likes it. No one enjoys uh, being afraid of the, of the wrath of God. But we never know the peace that comes from the grace of God until we've understood the reality of the wrath of God. All right. So I find this fascinating, this, this uh, verse uh, 24 and 25, that Paul's description of the preaching in the early church, preaching that's designed to convert the unconverted, what is it, how is it that Paul is describing that? He's describing it as preaching that convicts. The vernacular would be hellfire and brimstone. Now, there's some people who say, oh, you know, you're going to drive people away with that kind of preaching. We're going to nice people into the kingdom of God. I'm fascinated that of all the kinds of preaching that Paul could lift up, as an example of what makes the church useful to the outside world, it's the preaching that leads to conviction. Now, let's be clear. Not all preaching is about conviction. Some preaching is, is, is a word of comfort. Some preaching is going to be a word of exhortation to live more fully into the grace that you've already received. But foundational to the gospel is this 
need to recognize that we are sinners without hope outside of Christ. It's an awkward message. All right? That kind of message is only going to come when the reason is engaged. Holy Spirit needs to show up, but our minds need to show up too. Okay? All right? So let me end um, with where it is that Paul ends. Brothers and sisters, earnestly desire to prophesy. I don't know. I'm not a grammarian, but that sure looks like a command to me. Earnestly desire to prophesy. Is that the desire of your heart? That God would gift you with the ability to speak the word of God to other people. Obviously, the person that you called to be your pastor has to have that gift, that for sure. Your Sunday school teachers need that gift for sure. But there's no indication in Scripture that that gift is closed to anyone. The gospel is rich and it's deep, but you know, the gospel can be explained to a child. And the gospel can be explained by a child. The gospel can be explained by you, which means that you can have the gift of prophecy. Desire earnestly the gift of prophecy, point number one. And then point number two, do not forbid speaking in tongues. Okay, Paul is very clear that speaking in tongues is a normal part of the Christian life. His concern in the church of Corinth is, is that mm, it maybe become too central. They got a little too crazy. All right. They were focused on the tongues. They weren't focused on orderly worship. The gift of tongues is, mm, it's a private communication between you and God. In, in your, in your private worship, you should feel free to exercise that gift. If you have never spoken in tongues, you can ask God to let you speak in tongues. There's no instruction manual about how to do this. Uh, God can show you how to do this. All right. Earnestly desire to be able to speak God's truth to the world, to prophesy, and don't forbid the speaking in tongues. And finally, all things should be done decently in order. Oh, that's a phrase that we Presbyterians love. But I think it's an important phrase. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we adore you. And we thank you for the saints who've gathered here this day uh, to hear the the preaching of your word. We pray that by the power of your spirit that uh, your word would find root uh, in our heart. uh, And that you would meet us individually where we are. And I pray this in Jesus' name.